mentioned a couple of you that we had a good afternoon class. It was wonderful, but it was down. We were down to around 18 today, normally we run around 30. And so you can just tell a lot of folks are, are struggling with one illness or another. And so, like I mentioned on Sunday, let's bear each other's burdens. Be sure and pray for one another. We are in the book of Genesis. Tonight we'll be in Genesis 1.14, beginning there. And it has been a wonderful study. Wonderful in that from the very beginning it has been an opportunity for our minds and hearts to be enlarged with the greatness of our God. I, uh, I'm so pleased to be able to show you that video last week, and I hope that you saw it. If you didn't see it, maybe we can give you a link to it. But that video showing the, the creation of the stars and uh, how the, uh, the earth compared in size for the stars and starts off by showing that this little, little golf ball, and if the earth were a golf ball, it said the sun would be roughly 15 feet in diameter. So just imagine this little golf ball compared to the sun that is just 15 feet huge. Well, that's, that's, that's mind-blowing in itself. But then the video went on to show how the sun, in comparison to other stars, is so insignificant you can barely see it next to the magnitude of these stars. It's just so incredible. And we know God made those. God made the heavens. He made the stars. He made all that therein is. And as we study this amazing act of creation, I trust that the God in your mind will grow bigger and bigger. I want to read verses 14 and 15 and then pray. Genesis 1. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Tonight, beginning with events of day four. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love and thank you for giving us this most amazing book called Genesis. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity that you give to us to, to have a little sneak peek into what went on at creation. And Lord, frankly, our, our minds are blown just what we've studied already. We've only looked at three days of creation. To understand that, that, that you, the very God who went to the cross and gave your life to die for us, loved us so much as the very one who spoke the worlds into existence. Lord, would you lead us tonight? I want you glorified. And Lord, I want in our minds for you to get even bigger. For that to happen, Spirit of God, we need your help. So lead us and guide us and direct us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I emphasized a couple words in the verses that I read. In verse 14, let there be lights in the firmament. Verse 15, let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven. Because last week we talked about a firmament sandwich where God divided the waters in the firmament. So he took waters on the earth, so the seas, the oceans, and he divided the waters from the waters. And between the waters from the waters was the firmament. So on the earth is the waters. Well, someplace above were the other waters. And it sounds to me like we've got the firmament between. So you have the waters of the earth, and then you have the firmament, and then you have waters on top of that. 
Well, now what's significant is this where the preposition in is. Let there be lights in the firmament. Well, what are those lights? Well, they're the ones that, that, uh, that, that allow for signs and seasons and days and years. And, of course, we know that's the stars. Looking up to see the, the lights or the stars in the heavens, where are those lights? They are in the firmament. So we've got waters on the earth, we've got the firmament, and then someplace on top of the firmament. So it sounds like at the very outer edge of God's universe, there is a layer of water surrounding the entire work of creation. So we've got the waters on the earth, and then the firmament, and the waters around it. What it sounds like. Now, in events of day four, letter A, it begins with the light sources created. The light sources. When God initially created light, he likely made all aspects of light. Now, you remember, when God made light, he did not initially make the sun. He did not initially make the stars. He made what we would say would be a generic light source, just light itself. He did not tie it to a source. It's just light. Um, he made all aspects of light, or we would say the complete electromagnetic spectrum, including infrared, x-rays, visible light, and ultraviolet light. And I found this interesting because I believe that when we get our resurrected bodies, we are in heaven, we're going to be able to see the full spectrum of light. We're going to see lights we can't see here. We'll see colors we cannot see here. We'll hear sounds we cannot see here because our bodies will be able to hear all those things and see all those things. And the beauties and the colors will be so incredibly rich in heaven. Though God had previously created light as an entity, on day four, he created the specific light sources. They would be tasked with consistently separating time into 24-hour days as the earth rotates around the sun. Also, the skylights would act as indicators for the seasons, days, and years. These lights were placed in the firmament or vast expanse of the sky above. As you go out tonight, I think, I think it's a clear night, isn't it? Clear night or the clouds, out? I don't remember. Clear night? As you go out, if you look up, you're going to look up and see more than likely stars. And you're going to be, unless you're in, in town, too much light here, but you get out where you can see and there's no light pollution, Look up in this vast expanse of sky filled with these beautiful stars. You just, you, you just take it in. Wow, that's the expanse or the firmament being described here. Letter B, God's dynamic skylights. Verse 16, God made two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Let's go backwards. First thing is, it's almost, almost funny after seeing what we saw last week, the, the stars and the magnitude of the stars. And then shortly we'll talk about the number of stars. As a, uh, almost a, a second thought, he made the stars also like, oh, by the way, I made the stars as well. Not a big deal. Um, but it says he made two great lights. But we saw last week that the sun, in comparison to many other stars, is not a great light. The sun, in comparison to some stars, is almost insignificant. So why, why did he call it here in verse 16, two great lights? Doesn't he know about those great big stars that are out there? Those massive, massive stars? 
I would consider those great lights. And then it hit me. And we're going to be talking more and more about this the closer we get to, to the brunt of Genesis. We get past, past creation. We're going to see the real focus of, of, of God's attention. And it's not on his creation per se, it's on us, man. So when he called these two great lights, these two great lights are the great lights for us, the sun and the moon. Um, verse number, or number one, Earth's primary light source. The greater light refers, of course, to the sun, the great light, the sun. The sun is 864,000 miles in diameter. To give you a perspective, the Earth, you go on the Earth, it's a little less than 8,000. So think, 8,000 versus 864,000. See the difference there? <laughs> Making the sun 109 times wider than the Earth. Big. Temperature on the sun's surface is 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit and 27 million degrees at its core compared to a little over 9,000 degrees at the center of the Earth. So the sun is one enormously powerful, ferocious act of God. Number two, God's incidental creation. Incidental. Now I say this very tongue-in-cheek. Then with a phrase given almost as an after afterthought, God offhandedly mentioned that he made the stars also. He made the greater light and the lesser light. Oh, by the way, and he made the stars also. Letter A, numbering the stars. Man does not know how many stars exist in the universe. Did you know that? The smartest scientists today do not know how many stars there are in the universe. One source I found suggested that by taking the average number of stars in a typical galaxy, which I'm thinking, how in the world did they determine that? But, but they came out with 100 billion. So somehow they figured one galaxy, 100 billion stars. Did they count them? I don't know. How in the world? And by multiplying that by the estimated number of galaxies in the universe, which is 2 trillion. So they're saying there's approximately 100 billion stars in each galaxy, a typical galaxy, an average, and there are approximately 2 trillion galaxies. So you would arrive at an astounding number of 200 billion trillion stars or 200 sextillion. It means nothing to me. Those are enormous numbers. In Genesis 15, 5, and he brought him forth abroad and said, Abraham, look now toward heaven and tell or number the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Think about what he just told Abraham. Abraham is a clear night. There are no bright spotlights. There are no lights. <laughs> he looks up in the sky and it's gorgeous. The, the sky is alive with stars. And God said, okay, Abraham, start counting. Tell me how many stars are in the sky. And when you get the total, then you're going to know how many children will be in your posterity. And of course, Abraham said, well, Lord, I can't do that. And God said, exactly. 
That's how much I'm going to multiply your, your family. Letter B, measuring the stars. Measuring the stars. The sun's radius is around 432,450 miles. However, one of the largest stars found to date, UY Scuti, is actually 1,700 times larger than the sun. Massive. Approximately 5 billion suns could fit inside this star known as UY Scuti. And I will tell you, this particular star is one that was not mentioned on the video last week. This particular star has been discovered since that video. 5 billion suns could fit inside this star. And God made the stars also. No big deal for God. <laughs> Number three responsibilities for the light sources. Verse 17 and 18, And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Responsibilities for the light sources. Letter A, the powerful sun. God established the sun to provide light and heat for us on the earth. During the daytime hours, the sun would shine, giving us not only the ability to see, but also to warm us and be a source of encouragement. You probably know this, but areas in which the sun rarely shines tends to produce a very depressed people. Letter B, the underrated moon. Number one, our nocturnal light source. During the nighttime hours, the moon acts as our primary source for light. As it reflects the rays of the sun, it casts its light upon us, providing a much more subdued and relaxing light, making it more conducive for sleep. The moon is also integrally tied to the ocean's tides and even our seasons. Can you imagine if God made the moon as bright as the sun? And so now it's one o'clock in the morning, and that moon is blasting its rays through, your, through, through, the, through the window, and you're trying to sleep. Isn't God smart? He made the moon for us to sleep with. Number two is our season adjuster. Some real smart person this afternoon knew the answer to this, knew all about this, but I found it interesting. What causes the various seasons? Well, you understand that the earth is not on an axis like this, it's tilted a bit. Anybody want to guess how many degrees off-center the Earth is? How many? Real close. Would you settle for 23.5? 23.5 degrees, roughly, right? About that, about like that. It's off-center. Now, I didn't know this. I'm going to read it, and Scott, you correct me if I'm wrong here. Interestingly, we experience the various seasons each year due to the fact our Earth is tilted slightly off axis. Why do we have the seasons? Well, because of this. It is approximately 23.5 degrees off center. That variance is due to the gravitational pull of the moon, which steadies the Earth and keeps it from wobbling erratically. Is that something? I, I didn't know that. How many of you knew that? You young people probably knew that, right? You didn't know that? <laughs> That's awesome. I knew something you didn't. That's kind of fun. 
God designed the moon to play a much larger role than simply providing for romantic evenings with your wife. Verse 19, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Boy, boy I'm thinking, this is exhausting. It's got to be exhausting for God. You're doing all this work. I mean, making the sun and, and making the moon and, and then all these billions and trillions of what, sextillion uh, uh, stars. That had to be exhausting. And that was just one day. Just one day. Events of day five, verse 20. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Letter A. Masses of tiny sea creatures is what's being described here, I believe. If you look at your verse, let me read for you. If you take the original and extract some of the words, and you can translate them with their, with their literal translations, and it sounds something like this. Let the waters swarm with swarms or active masses of minute animals that have life. That's what he's saying here. Let the waters swarm. Just in your mind, just, just picture, picture all these sea creatures, and they're swarming together, massive swarms together. That's what's being described here. I read that zooplankton, the smallest animals in the large bodies of water, the smallest zooplankton are simple one-celled animals called protozoans. They can be 50 times smaller than a millimeter. It's really small. And they provide food for larger fish and animals. Larger zooplankton, called krill, provide the majority of a whale's diet. Now, I'd heard this before, but it still was staggering. When I think of a whale, it's this monstrous, monstrous creature of God. What's it going to take to fill up a whale? Man, they're going to eat these massive bites of food, right? Well, actually, what provides a good majority of their sustenance are little tiny sea creatures you can't even see. But they are so prolific in the waters. As, the wa as, he, as he takes in the waters, he's receiving all of these billions and billions of little sea creatures that are nourishing him. He's eating those. Letter B, and by the way, let me just remind you, God made them. Letter B, flying creatures. The verse said, fowl that may fly. But a literal translation is flying creatures. Now, in your mind, what conjures up when I say flying creatures as opposed to birds? Anything? Is there a different picture in your mind that comes when I say flying creatures as opposed to birds? What's that? Bats. Bats. Yeah. What else? Flying creatures. Anything else? Boy, yeah. Yeah. I would call them something else. I'd call them something else, though that's what they are. What would they be? Dinosaurs like pterodactyls, right? Wouldn't you call a pterodactyl a flying creature? Right, now you're thinking, now wait a minute though, those were billions of years before that. Well, no, they weren't. 
Why? Because we're going to find out that God created all that is in six days. So, this is to me interesting. Included in this category of creation that would be all the animals and birds that can actually fly, not simply float, like the flying squirrel, all also in this group would be those extinct birds considered by some to be prehistoric, like pterodactyls. However, since according to Genesis, God created everything, including pterodactyls, in six days, then there is no prehistoric age. Number one, living souls, S-O-U-L-S, living souls. Our verse, verse 20 said, I'll let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. The Hebrew word here is nefesh. Nefesh. Literally translated, nefesh, translated life here, means soul. Soul. It typically refers to breathing creatures. Souls. It is interesting that this word is never used in the Bible, ever used for plants, only man and animals. Plants were originally created to provide a food source for man and animals. Animals were not eaten until after man sinned. Number two, flying in the face of the heavens. As you look up tonight, you go out there, you look up, like I said, you're looking into what we call the heavens or the expanse or the firmament. Looking up into that which God created, which includes the stars, the lights, the sun, the moon. When it says may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven, the word open can be translated face. Open face. So what's being suggested here are birds flying in the face of the firmament. And it's more of mental imagery than anything else. It is looking at this incredible firmament, the heavens, that are just taking your breath away. And understanding that the birds are flying in its face. So as we look up, we see the birds above us looking as if they are in the face of the firmament, which is one of the reasons man has been so preoccupied with flying. He looks up, he sees these birds. Wow, I would love to be able to do that. To get up there in the sky. That's what's being referred to here. Flying in the very face of the firmaments. Letter C. Great sea monsters. Sea monsters. Verse 21, And God created great whales, and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Well, guess what? When you look at a Bible dictionary, when you look up great whales from this verse, and you find the original word, you're going to find a definition. And the definition is literally sea monsters, sea serpents, or what was the word that you said earlier? Dragons. That's what the dictionary said. God created great sea monsters, sea serpents, dragons. That's the literal translation from whales. And every living creature that moveth. This is likely, 
day six, when dinosaurs were created. Though, you may know this, the word dinosaur was not coined until 1841, which is why the term is not in the Bible. There wasn't the word dinosaur then. The Bible does, however, refer to a dragon-like creature in the book of Job. Anybody know the name of that animal? Leviathan. So let me read it for you. Job 41, 14. Try to imagine this ferocious beast. Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible roundabout. His scales are his pride shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one together. They stick together that they cannot be sundered by his sneezings or sneezing. A light doth shine. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. He breaketh, uh, his, I'm sorry, his breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. What's this describing? What kind of dragon? A fire-breathing dragon. I thought those were just in mythology. Here the Bible's talking about this fire-breathing dragon. Well, hold on. In his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy before him. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold, the spear, the dart, nor the habergeon. He esteemeth iron as straw, and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laugheth at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp-pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not his like, who is made without fear. He beholdeth all high things. He is a king over all the children of pride. God said to Job, Job, tell me, where were you when I created the worlds? Of course, Job could not answer. He wasn't there. Job, tell me about this beast called Leviathan. Explain him to me. And then God went on in these verses to describe to Job what this amazing beast was like. Now, somebody asked me, is this literal or allegorical? Is this a real animal that existed or not? Years ago, I wanted to find out. And today, I stand before you not knowing for sure. I will tell you, there are creatures, particularly sea creatures, who have chemical components like phosphorus that can glow. Now, my mind goes the Tyrannosaurus rex, standing massively large and, and just, a, just a horrible, scary creature. Talks about standing up. I can imagine him standing up and just demanding fear wherever he goes. Was it possible that a creature like him 
was also able to breathe fire, go down deep into, into water as he did. He, uh, just, just the movement of his tail would create all sorts of bubbles and everything down there. Just a fearsome thing. So I don't know if it's a real thing or not. Sounds to me, sounds to me like God made fire-breathing dragon. Letter D, a command to multiply. A command to multiply. By the way, let me just tell you that for too long, Christians have cowered in their belief of, in Genesis. That's why so many Christians, I'm afraid, no longer believe that God created the world in six days. Because some non-believer comes up and laughs at them. And they pull out a passage like this. <laughs> that silly book. That can't be real because it talks about a fire-breathing dragon, and we know they're not real. Well, but they could be. Why? Because the same God who's powerful enough to speak the worlds into existence could certainly, certainly, without even breaking a sweat, make a fire-breathing dragon. Where do you suppose the myths began in the first place? Out of reality? Possibly. A command to multiply, verse 22, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. I may forget it later, so I'll just tell you today, but, or tell you right now, at this point. Um, interestingly, my, my daughter Katie asked a question just recently, my, my wife. And she said, do you think that the, the command to multiply is still uh, um, in existence today? Or was that an initial command for the earth when it was first being filled? Does God still expect his children to replenish the earth or to multiply today? Of course, she's thinking of what society is like and how, how dreadful it's become and how looking into the future, what it's going to be like when her little child faces it. You know, just the average fears. Most parents go through that. And I got to thinking, you know what, I think so. Perhaps that command is even more necessary today than ever. Why? Because God wants his people to proliferate. The Muslims are doing it. They're taking over the world. Why? Because they're having children. And those children are growing up. And they're, 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 they're covering the earth. Why shouldn't God's people do that? And number one, the command explored. The command explored. The command to bear fruit was given to God's creatures from the very beginning or from creation. It was his means of providing for continuation of life. What if God had not had the foresight to think? What if God would have said, boy, I've got this beautiful earth and everything is perfect. It's all good. Everything I've made is gorgeous. Just, just look. Just, just look at this. It's all wonderful. But he did not create the ability to procreate. But what happened after the first first creatures died, eventually. So Adam lived uh, 900 some years. But after those 900 years, if God had not given him the ability to procreate, mankind would die off, as well the animals. But in God's foresight, he gave them the ability to procreate and continue on. So here we are thousands of years later with the same system continuing. Um, before man was created, God established the principle in the sea creatures and birds of multiplying. It was God's design for his creation to be fruitful and multiply. What a beautiful backdrop 
listen to this, for the spiritual realm of winning souls to Christ. So as God, as, as, as God removed his concern for multiplying spiritual souls? Of course not. Genesis 35, 11, And God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come from thy loins. Genesis 48, 4, And said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee. Psalm 128, verse 3, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine. John 15, 16, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. Number two, the command fulfilled. The command fulfilled. The waters have become a fulfillment of God's command. One commentary writes, There is now not a bay or a creek, not a shelf or a sound on the face of the earth that does not teem with life. Even a drop of ditch water can hold 500 million microscopic creatures, so small that a teaspoon of water would be to them what the Atlantic is to us. Multiply. Verse 23, And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And we're going to get just into the six. We won't finish it because I didn't, I didn't this afternoon, so I'll stop where we stop, stop with them. But day six. Now, God made everything that there is in six days. So we're about to finish the sixth day. And, of course, you know, on the seventh, he rested. Genesis 1.24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. So letter A, living creatures and beasts. God made living creatures in three categories, referred to in verse 24. The first category is cattle. <laughs> and again, you look it up in the dictionary. The Bible dictionary, you look up this word here used for cattle. And here's what you're going to find. Literally, large, dumb animals. That's what it says, large, dumb animals. Think in your mind, sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. Compared to many animals, they're large. Cows, cows and sheeps. These were four-footed, domesticated, or domestic animals. Ones that could be domesticated. Number two is creeping things. These were creatures that moved on the ground. This would be the category of the reptiles. The word literally means to move or to swarm. Same word, swarm. And number three are the beasts. These are the wild animals, the lions and tigers and bears. Those are the three categories. Letter B is after his kind. Verse 25, and God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. The word kind is most generally used to refer to the family level of classification. The family. So on the ark, there would have only have been two of every family, like the dog family, the cat family, etc. The number of kinds needed for Noah to round up would have, less, have been less than 1,400. Kinds, how many? 1,400 kinds. 
It's also important to remember that it would not have to be necessary to bring in the large, mature specimens. Massive land animals, what we might call dinosaurs, could have been very young and much smaller. And then letter C. Here's what we have been building up to. This is what God's been building up to in His creation. Beginning day one, as He just started, stood back and He created the earth itself. Now it is a chaotic mess covered with water. And little by little, he adds to that, he forms that, he shapes it. He takes it from those raw ingredients. He makes all the, all the plant life, all the sea creatures, and then finally the land animals, saving his best for last. Letter C is man. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. What a passage. Let us make man. In our image, I believe this is the first board meeting. We've got God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Let us now make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So man, number one, was a joint effort by Elohim. Yes, there is one God. That one God is in three personages. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That one God created. And each of those personages had their own unique part and role in creation. Letter A, let us make man. Let us make man. In some way, the Father, Son, and the Spirit work together in agreement to create their ultimate work of creation. Man, and I could just picture this in my mind. After man is created, they stood back. Ah, oh, it's good. Ah, oh, it's good. Why? Because what they saw was their own image. It's good. Letter B is in our image. In our image. Colossians 1.15, who is the image of? of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. James 3.9, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Just like God is in three parts, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So man in God's image is created in three parts. You want to guess what those three parts are? Say, you're right. She said, body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. That's interesting, but I want to read for you 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We say body, soul, and spirit. You know what God says? Spirit, soul, and body. He reverses it. He says spirit, soul, and body. Why would God put the spirit first? Ah, that's his communication part of man, the spirit. When you think of the body, as far as God's concerned, the body is the vehicle in which he houses the soul and the spirit. But that communicating part is the spirit. 
So to God, we are a spirit, soul, and body. By the way, my soul, what is the soul in man? My mind, will, and emotions. So not only am I a three-part being, but my soul is in three parts as well. Number two, man's name means man was called Adam or Adam, or, or the Hebrew is Adama, Adama. Now, that's not the answer, though, there. <laughs> man's name of Adam or Adama means ruddy. Ruddy. Can you think of anybody in the Bible that it was said of him he was ruddy? David. That's right. Ruddy. Had a ruddy complexion. Ruddy. It means kind of reddish. Now, though it does not say it, it's possible that what God was saying was he named man after the color of the earth that was around him. It's possible that earth was a red tone. And so he created man out of that red earth, calling him ruddy. Number three, man was given dominion over his creation. By the way, isn't it interesting what God called man? God called him ruddy or red. Hey, red. Um, not a real esteemed name, if you think about it. Not a real high-class name because this is, the, this is the pinnacle of his creation, man. Well, we're going to call this, we're going to call this, Superior. We're going to call it exalted one. We're going to call him red. Letter A, God gave man the ability to rule over the rest of God's creation. Psalms 8, 6 and 7, 8. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, and the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passeth through the paths of the sea. In some way, God gave man the responsibility to rule over the rest of his creation. In some way. Letter B, God gave man the ability to tame God's creatures. To tame them. We learn from James chapter 3, and verse 7, for every kind of beasts and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. A domestic animal is genetically determined to be tolerant of humans. An individual wild animal, or wild animal born in captivity, may be tamed. Their behavior can be conditioned so they grow accustomed to living alongside humans, but they are not truly domesticated and remain genetically wild. In other words, God created two kinds of animals. Those that are predisposed to being domesticated and those that are not predisposed to be domesticated. Case in point, years ago, I heard a man preaching a message, and so you take it for what it's worth. He's talking about a man in Africa who had taken a lion cub when he was very, very young and had helped that lion cub to grow and it became a pet. So every day they were, he was feeding the lion cub and playing with the lion cub. And, and one day, now the lion cub is no longer a cub. It's a full-grown lion. The man is sitting in his chair, and the man is stroking the lion. And then the lion comes over and just starts licking his hand, licking his hand. But that lion's got a very, very coarse tongue. 
And after uh, some time, that lion draws a droplet of blood. And I'm told as soon as he tasted that blood, he pounced on that man and he killed him. Because that wild animal, though he had grown used to being around man, was still a wild animal. By the way, God made him such. Number four, man was God's generic name for humans. Man was his generic name. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Man was the name for the male human. Man, I am a man as well as the generic name for all of humanity, or mankind. Adam-kind, mankind. So all of humans come underneath that generic title of man. And that's where we're going to stop right there. I'm put a mark in it. That's the stopping place for tonight. As you are wrapping things up, I want you to consider what we've talked about tonight. I want you to consider that we just finished day six. Well, we're halfway through day six of creation. We've come now to the pinnacle of God's creation. Lord willing, next week we will have passed day six and be into studying the, the day of rest. But, but the God that gave us the book of Genesis, the one who spoke the worlds of existence. So when you kneel tonight or you kneel tomorrow morning and you spend some time with the Lord and you're praying, for just a, at least a moment, I want you to reflect on the God that you're talking to is the God that spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke the sextillion stars, giving each one of them uniqueness, taking every one of those stars and uniquely de designing them. He then, as we saw last week on the video, we saw we saw the planets begin to come by. We saw planet after planet, and then the Earth came by, and then other planets, and then finally the sun, then all these different stars came by. But there was something incredibly unique about the planet Earth. Just looking at it, as compared to all the other planets and stars, the Earth had a very, very unique image. As I looked at it, I said, beautiful, beautiful. It was covered in blue, and you could see the continents sticking out, and it was like a painting there. Not one other planet or star begins to compare. Why? Because on that planet that compared to these other stars is almost non-existent is the very purpose for creation in the first place. You. Mind-blowing. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord once again for your creation. Lord, you're an all-powerful God, and that, that, phrase, that phrase needs to get even bigger in our minds. All-powerful. Lord, almighty God, you are our God. Lord, help our faith to grow in you. I pray, Lord, that we might trust in you even more as a result of our exploring your creation. Thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name.
God bless you.